We're back for episode five of the Talking Toro podcast with me, Peter Bourne, and my good friend, Rob Gilman. Um, so we have no defeat of yet to talk about, um, uh, but we are going to preview this weekend's game in, in Salerno and a little bit the kind of last um, section or the last eight or nine matches of this season. And rather than doing a hero and villain this week, we are going to discuss the presidency of presidency of Urbano Cairo and maybe there's uh, aspects of hero and villain um, to his tenure um, so we're going to spend a little bit more time delving into that a little bit later but Rob I'm going to let you set up this weekend's um, yeah I'd say must win game. Uh, yeah I think the, the problem with this game or as I like to call it the Simone Verdi derby um, it is a must-win game for both teams. So Lenatana desperate in need of the points. They do look they do look relatively doomed, albeit they've had a little bit of upturn in fortune since um, former Torino coach uh, Davide Nicola came in. Um, they've since he came in at the start of February, they've had seven games. They've drawn five of them and two defeats. So he's, he's sort of stabilised them and managed to pick up points without getting a victory, which is very similar to what Blessing was doing at Genoa in the sort of game two weeks ago. Um, the two defeats, interestingly, were against Juve and Inter, which sort of does suggest it's definitely not going to be a walk in the park. It will be a tough, tough game, which Torino will need to, I think, score in order to, I think they'll need to score more than once in order to win because um, Salerno Tano have scored in all five of the games which weren't Juve and Inter. So in all the draws, they were score draws. Um, so that suggests that it's going to be a sort of fairly open game and maybe present a few more chances than than we managed to create in Genoa. Um, and like you say, I think that the what might work in our favour is that it's it's after the performance two weeks ago, we need to put in a performance and Salerno Tana obviously will need to try and pick up points. So it should be an entertaining game. Uh, I think in retrospect, the, the early red card in the previous game maybe stopped that flow from happening it, that they'd taken the lead they were down to 10 men that the attack v defense stall was already set out from from early doors whereas if, if both teams teams can keep 11 players on the pitch we might be in for for an entertaining game and that's that's what i can uh foresee happening yeah i, I think maybe key to um to score first on on saturday evening it was the issue with Genoa was by the time they'd gone down to ten men, they'd got the goal, and as we've discussed many times, we have we just have uh, grave difficulty getting back into into games. Um, looking at their team, it's a real collection of um, quite random players. But, I mean, they've got still got. I mean, I'm amazed Frank Ribery is uh, as as yeah, will seemingly see out the season there, um, but he always seems to he always seems to play quite well against us. Um, they've got. I hadn't realised they've got Diego Perotti, the man with the worst tattoo in Italian football. Uh, Which is quite a claim, to be honest. There are a few contenders for that. He is in, in, in some very good company. But that, yeah, that kind of 1980s tango, well, I don't know, corner shop football he's got on his uh, on his neck is uh, is pretty vile. Um, they've got a few ex-Toro players, which always worries you. They've obviously got Bonazzoli in attack, who um, I didn't think was as bad as some people made out last season it was obviously a bad season to be there but he's I think he's already got six goals this season um I don't know if he'll be fit but Joel Obi I always quite liked him um 
I said if he's fit because that was always a question about him. But when he was fit, um, he yeah, I, 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 he, he was always a always quite a cultured player, quite a quite a goal threat, and being left sided added nice balance to the team. Got your friend, um, your friend Mr Verdi. And I've also got Sepe in goal, and he's another one who often seems to play quite well against us. Um, I think, yeah, I hadn't, um, the, that run they're on is, yeah, eerily similar to Genoa in that day. I mean, Genoa hadn't, I don't think they'd won at home in a year. They'd won one game all season. And, you know, Salonitana's stats aren't really much better. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm always quite fearful of playing teams who haven't won in a long time. Um, I think, yeah, the break, the break will have an impact on on both teams. We've we've had a lot more internationals away. Um, I think, as I said, the first goal might be important because what we saw with um, with Nicola at Torino as well, there were certain matches that did that did run away. And if they are desperate, um, and we've got a goal and we can play in the break, um, I, I see that as kind of being our, our our kind of best tactic. What? From a Torino point of view, what worries me a little bit is what's going to be that different from Genoa. Pobega suspended, so that's one of our key um, key attacking players out. Uh, Brecolo has had his back is recovered from COVID. Um, uh, I think he was away with the Croatian Croatian team. Uh, Priot's still out. Our old friend Pellegri is um, nowhere to be seen. So those kind of attacking options on the bench. Um, not going to be particularly vast. No, yeah, there's a whole kind of range of players who've been away in international duty. So it's, I think it's a very hard game to predict, in all honesty. But okay. I think it's a game, if we win, it's going to set up that final, let's call it final quarter of the season quite nicely. I think, you like, like you say, the selection issues that you've mentioned may present an opportunity for somebody who we haven't seen play much at all, which would be, which would be Dembasek, or or whether we try uh, Lukic behind the, the 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 main striker, and that allows Richie to to start. Um, but I, th- I think the the thing that we've learned about Juric this season is that he doesn't try, he doesn't tend to experiment much. He doesn't tend to deviate from his initial plan. It will be just playing that that normal formation and with maybe one or two um, changes via necessity. Whether I'm not sure whether Sanabu and Zaza would both be fit, but there's the potential there that if you're struggling to find two players in in or in able to support the main attacker, whether you change that slightly, and I think Zaza, for all his faults, probably more suited to to play in as a as a sort of withdrawn role. I actually think he's played his best games for Torino in a partnership with Bellotti. I think he they actually have quite a good relationship together, but unfortunately. The, the unfortunate thing is the the majority of sort of Toro coaches have favoured one up front recently. So I think there's there's potential for for maybe seeing something different and with with suspensions, injury problems, it, it might be that that's what's needed as well. Yeah. Um, it's the the other interesting player is Linetti. Is Linetti has disappeared completely off the radar uh, apart from that atrocious performance against Venezia but I think that's probably his only game since um, the end of November and yeah what Juric has tended to do is uh, Giampaolo did advance Lukic into that role and he looked quite good there but I 
unless he brings in uh, he brings in Richie and to to move Lukic forward, which is probably what we would like to see done. But I think more likely is was Lenetti was not away with Poland, and whether it will be one of those games where Lenetti Lenetti's dusted off to kind of yeah run around in a very confusing manner. Um, but I, I just don't see him as I, I just don't see him as a fit at all for that position. He's not been a fit really in any position for since he joined Torino. But that that role behind a strike or behind two forwards is really doesn't doesn't work. It's a bit of a strange position, really, because I think Juric would probably describe it as a, as a trade quartista. Um, Carol Linetti may be the least talented player in the history of professional football to play that role, if, if that's what we're going to call it, because uh, whilst I think he's actually improved from, from last season, Gianpaolo was very keen to get him back at Sampdoria, so he does have his, his attributes as a player. He isn't particularly quick. He isn't particularly skillful. His main attribute does seem to be running around and and, and pressing from the front. Really, he's one of those players where he might win the ball back, but as soon as he wins it back, you wouldn't trust him to produce a pass. You wouldn't trust him to produce a, produce a shot. He he would literally just be winning the ball back and then hoping that he can pass it to to somebody who's a little bit more creative and, and be able to create an opportunity. Um. But yeah, I think I think you're right. Actually, that's probably the most likely thing that will happen. It it might be uh, Piazza and Lanetti. We see if Brecolo uh, hasn't recovered in time because I imagine he probably hasn't had much opportunity to do much training over the last ten days um, since his positive COVID test. Uh, so Piazza's an interesting one. I've I'd almost forgotten about him because his his last few performances have been so anonymous. But that brings us on to um, a little bit the summer transfer campaign because there's been a few. Um, a few whispers this week. So um, obviously, Torino have got a six or seven players who, uh, with a buy uh, with a buy um, buy it option this summer. Um, so Wolfsburg came out earlier this week and said they've had no contact about Brecolo, which was quite interesting because it came about two days after Gazzetta della Sport had reported that Torino were pretty much going to sign Brecolo. So there's some kind of um, Something being played out there between the two clubs. I suspect that, yeah, I suspect there's um, not quite an agreement in place and they're playing it out a little bit in public. But the, I think the intention is to have uh, Brecolo as part of the squad for next season. I think there were, there were some rumours that the de- like the deadline day for Torino to take up that option was today, um, or might even be tomorrow, the 31st of, of March. And that might just be, uh, I've heard things on the contrary I've heard people say there is this clause that has to be done by this date and then I've heard people say there isn't a clause so like you say I think it is maybe public um, discussions between Wolfsburg and Torino Wolfsburg probably trying to get the, the fee that they've agreed with Torino and Torino as as we may uh, go on to later um, the president does like to try and get a discount on, on certain players um, when when dealing in the transfer market so Maybe they're trying to reduce the, the price at, at the last minute. But given his successful season, Croatia have qualified for the World Cup. So there, there's the potential that he, he could do well on, on that world stage. I think if Torino, I think the I think the rumoured fee is 14 million euros. I think that's a given that you, you should, for a player who's relatively young still, has only got, I think he can improve and, and can be more consistent. It's probably his biggest issue. I think it's a, a no-brainer to to um, redeem that option and, and sign up for the squad for next season. Yeah, I, I think you're going to have a whole host of players who 
this summer with the World Cup being so close to the start of the season that then there's going to be a lot of players who won't want to risk a move um, where they may get more limited football. So he's he's definitely not a shoe-in for the Croatia squad. I think he's still going to have to demonstrate um, some good form. Um, so, yeah, even... He, I do wonder for some of these players though, if Torino's form continues to be so uh, poor between now and the end of the season and the mood music t- changes, um, then then that could change. But I think it would make sense to, to sign him up. It, it looks like Mand- Mandragora will be signed up as well. Um, for Pryce, I've there's been some stories about Torino seeking to extend the loan for a second season from Leicester, which I actually think strategically makes makes sense because he is just not been reliable fitness wise as good as he has been when he's played um so that i think that's where that one is and i've also read that with mohammed farias that torino were looking to despite the fact that uh, he barely i don't think he lasted a training session but torino are looking to kind of commit to that loan into next season as well um so that must have been a really impressive half a training session yeah <laughs> um and then yeah that, i think that leaves piazza who i think is uh, with being owned by Juventus, I don't think I don't think he's going to go back to where he is. Um, so it's probably a little bit less competition, less pressure for him. But I think he's really got eight or nine games to convince the club he's worth the money. And I'm not sure, apart from the flashes earlier in the season, that he's done enough. I think we managed to forget Pellegrini again, but I think we, that's a confirmation that he's well, that there probably that, won't be a rush to um, to sign him up. I'm pretty confident that. Allegri will not be a Torino player next season. So. And I'm not sure whether, because I think he made his debut for Genoa at like 15. So whether it's just physical problems that that sort of English players who, who've been sort of thrown into the first team at, at such a young age have suffered in the past, whether that he's just that burnout and it's it's happened too often from from playing sort of men's football while still a, a teenager, whether it is that sort of thing or or whether it's something else which which we're we're unaware of but it it does seem a shame because I remember he was tipped as being one of the the next big thing I think he scored twice on Totti's last game for Roma uh, and almost sort of sport that party so it's a shame that his career has sort of become where he like as in this podcast as we've demonstrated on two occasions now we totally forgot about him yeah and I think every almost every week it's something different so it's not like he's been out of a knee injury for six weeks it does seem to be the, the recent one is muscle fatigue which um which is interesting bear in mind he, he hasn't played any games no so um yeah it's a shame because it looked like we'd really um injected a bit of kind of youth and vivacity into the squad in january and um to date none of those players have really had the not for their own not through their own fault but have not really had a chance to make an impression yet um yeah shall we shall we talk about the main man yeah so as a, as a bit of a change um to sort of our, our weekly format with the the toro hero and villain um we decided to, to sort of engage in a debate against a very decisive um torino character which is the president of arno caro um i think we're probably going to have different views and i'll probably agree with parts that that peter says and peter will probably hopefully agree with some of the things that I say. Um, but I will, um, as somebody who was there when he took charge in, in 2005, I'll, I'll go over to Peter and, and sort of let him have his uh, opinion first. Yeah, 
I mean, the difference is you've only known Cairo, haven't you? So you've had no from 05. Um, it is quite hard to believe he's been there, been there so long and been there so long, kind of, not to say unchallenged, but with no one ever really coming in to, um, to try and take over the club. But let's give a bit of context. I mean, I'll, I'll go back. We're going to go back a long time first, just because I think it's important to understand the kind of heritage of Torino president. So the great, the great Torino president post Superga was uh, Pianelli, who was there for, for almost 20 years and oversaw the Scudetto in 76. And Pianelli's always been the model, at least for a certain era of Torino fan, they've looked at having a president like that. Um, who bought success, who did things the right way, um, who uh, who bought in coaches, who played the way the team liked to play. Um, and yeah, I mean, he oversaw the a kind of reco- eventual recovery post-Superga and as I said, the, and the Scudetto. And then what happened, you had a few presidents in the 80s who were by and large local uh, Turin businessmen. And then in 1989, you had Borsano who came in and that's where they kind of, well, very short term, uh, quite meteoric rise of the club and then massive downfall throughout the 90s um, started because Borsano came in with massive political ambitions and, and used the club uh, kind of to fulfil those political ambitions. Um, don't forget, Borsano brought in a certain Luciano Moggi as uh, sporting director of, of Torino at the time. So, um, yeah, so... Mochi definitely cut his teeth at Torino, but yeah, the Borsano era was, um, let's say, very interesting. Uh, but we saw the UEFA Cup final, the Coppa Italia success, quite a lot of investment, and then I guess the kind of yeah the the, the kind of moment where it all changed was when Lentini was sold um, to Milan, um, and there's always been big question marks where those if the if the club ever saw those funds. But what we do know is with we have. Not much longer, Borsano left, and there was a succession of presidents who, I mean, if you look, if you read anything about them, there's a mix of bankruptcy, bankruptcy and fraud, um, in in some of their stories. I'm amazed to find that they're all pretty much still alive. Every Torino president from the early '90s so you had Borsano, then you had Caleri, uh, Goviani was at, actually Goviani was the one who bought the the Coppa Italia was under him because Borsano had left, and then you had. Uh, a consortium from Genoa, and then you had the much detested Romero and Ciminelli. Ciminelli uh, wasn't president; he is dead. As he was the owner, but Romero uh, technically was was the president. Um, and then what happened under? So to set the scene in two thousand and five, of Romero and Ciminelli, I don't think you'll you'll find two more hated uh, characters in in Torino history. But they you know, they were essentially navigating a ship which um, was going to sink eventually sink and in the summer of 2005 uh, it, it did sink uh, Torino despite being uh, promoted to Serie A folded and and you had this summer which was a, just a massive vacuum where uh, there were efforts to save the club um, all of the all of the deadlines to save the club passed so essentially the cl- club was reformed um, and I guess it was kind of an open war um, to become bidder of the club. And we're talking about the longevity of Cairo's tenure, and the really disappointing thing was how few credible people at the time came forward. 
bearing in mind Turin is a huge industrial city. Torino is historically one of the, and we can debate this, um, but one, at least one of the top eight Italian clubs of all time, at the very least. Um, and you're, you're, you're essentially taking over a business which has no debt. Obviously, you're going to have to reclaim some of the assets, but you've got a carte blanche to effectively do what you want. And what we had was, yeah, as I said, a, a lot of quite undesirable characters came forward. Um, and eventually in the, in the background, Cairo, um, Cairo basically became the, fan, the fan's choice. Um, and I hadn't realized Cairo had been part of the consortium under Ciminelli, apparently, which had tried to buy the club before. Uh, there's some reports that they tried to get into football, into football at Genoa as well. Essentially, came forward as a as a kind of um, media mogul entrepreneur in his early forties, um, based in Milan with a, a lot of business interests in in the, in the Milan media, which made him a natural kind of natural Berlusconi um, comparisons. And I think Torino fans at the time thought they were getting someone. The other thing he proclaimed he was he was a Torino fan which his parents definitely were. His parents were definitely very fond of Torino, and I think there was an element of his presidency, which has always been to, to please, his, uh, please his parents. Um, but I think his kind of love for Torino, is, is, he's retrofitted that a little bit. Um, um, <clears throat> but I mean, um, I mean come, on, come on to some of that. But, so he came in in 2005, and I think the, the feeling was we we're going to get a young, dynamic president um, who would innovate uh, who would be very media savvy who would invest in the team who would be quite transparent and um, yeah and after 15 years of of debt of having to sell every asset um, of every year kind of questioning survival of the club that actually we would um, would grow back to it would take time but we would grow back to, to being a force I think the other maybe comparable president is De, De Laurentiis at Napoli who I thought that might be the kind of president Torino might get more. I know De Laurentiis is a lot more outspoken and, and kind of colourful character than Cairo, but I thought if you'd asked me in 2005 where I thought Torino had been in 2022, I'd have thought we would have won a few trophies, but we would have uh, flirted a bit more with the upper echelons of the Italian game. Um, and we've not at all, really. Um, and I think a lot of yeah, I think that a lot of the last 17 years has been pretty mundane. It's been pretty average. It's been, uh, there's been a general acceptance of being quite average. And it's, there's been a real struggle sometimes to, to force innovation or force change. And there's never really been, um, Torino in, in the moments where they have been successful have never really built on it. In fact, they've gone backwards pretty quickly. And, um, we go into the details of very different things. I think over the last 17 years, you can't blame Cairo for all of the team's failures. Ultimately, he's put his trust in in certain people to deliver that, but you can blame him for the platform being provided. You can blame him for the structure, um, the organisation of the club and the club's facilities not really having evolved massively in that time. Um, and... I think there's a yeah there's a massive sense of yeah uh, there's there's not a lot of warmth to him from the Torino fan base and I think there's definitely a desire now for change. Um, I think there's, the context is important. As I said, he took over 
he took over a club in 2005, which he did have to rebuild. Um, but he also, as I said, had a clean slate. And so he, he, he wasn't kind of battling against a lot of the things that the previous presidents uh, battled against. And I think that I think is a massive lost opportunity, um, personally. And at the same time, he's not driven Torino back into debt. There's not been too many major scandals. Um, but we've just become very, quite mid-table. Um, and with no kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll go on to a, a little bit of the details of the stadium, the team, the performance, the the, the communication of the club, the, the wider facilities of the club. But a lot of it is just <clears throat> been... It's been very five or six out of ten for me. I think I can. I think I can agree with the majority of the things you say there. Obviously, I can't. I can't speak for for things sort of pre two thousand and five because obviously, like like you say, as soon as Cairo was the was the president, when I sort of became a fan, and the the probably the frustration which I think you you pick upon is, is the fact that when we've had these opportunities to to progress, we haven't. We haven't taken those. I think there were clear opportunities. If anything, and maybe just uh, just thinking about it just out loud now, is there an argument for maybe thinking, did Toro get promoted too early in that first season? Because you've then had to effectively build two teams in the space of 12 months, a team that got them out of Serie B and then initially survival for Serie A was the, was the priority. And, and whether that was sort of a, a process that had, that could have happened over a couple of years, maybe sort of buying younger players to to progress, who then would go up to you with within Serie A as well. I, I think the fact that we only lasted two seasons in Serie A um, after the first promotion before getting relegated again probably suggests that there there is there is possibility that had had we not won that game, which uh, against Mantua in the player final, maybe. In hindsight, things would have well, things definitely would have turned out differently because that's that's how things work. Um, but I, I think the the frustration for you and and for me as well, and I am more, I am probably more in the camp where I'm grateful for um, the fact that he took over. Like you say, there, were, there weren't queues of um, millionaires um, suggesting that they could take over Torino at the time, um, and had that had nobody came in then then you dread to think what would have happened to the club um but so so whilst i'm grateful for that i I do agree that there are missed opportunities to make torino like you say like a like a napoli like a atalanta who have who have progressed and, and sort of taken steps off the field to to increase the um expend increase the money that the the club can make and those probably both of those opportunities were um, immediately after qualif- qualifying for Europe, um, the the two Europa League campaigns. To be honest, after the first one in 2014, so the the European season being 2014-15, we we did we were quite a stable side, and that's probably the best uh, prolonged period of success that we've we've enjoyed in Cairo's uh, tenure. Um, but I think so much is I think there was a stage where things were focused so much on the field about the coach about the players where things off it which could have could have helped supplement budgets and um just the exposure of Torino it's like like you say I think 
for such a great team that to, that Torino are with their history and and like I say, one of probably one of the top eight teams in Italian football. Some of the things that they do off the field wouldn't suggest that you would think they were sort of maybe a, a more provincial side where they where you they don't sort of make a, as much as as they should do about the history and um one of my major frustrations is is the the lack of sort of unity between Cairo and, and the museum, the um Museo Grande Tolino. Um is out in Gugliasco and if you ever get the opportunity to visit, I would definitely recommend it. It's one of the best one of the best sort of footballing museums that I've ever been to. But the fact that they're sort of a separate entity, they're not linked to the club. Same issues have sort of happened with Philadelphia as well, where the the for that stadium or training facility to be built seemed to be a very prolonged affair where there were um discussions just happening for constantly and, and there was no actual um results of of, a, of anything being built but actually it's finally got built now and again I think for what it is it's a it's a very nice sort of stadium to for primavera games and that is it's a good training facility compared to to where they were previously um but on the sort of pro Cairo side I, w- I will say some of the the investments that he's made on, on transfers he's been advised poorly sorry to pick on him again but the the signing after the second Europa League qualification of Simone Verdi was a catastrophe really and whether that was something that he decided on or, or whether it was somebody he was advised to, uh, to sign is it is a is a topic for debate um and then also he's always been very good I feel when Torino have got assets to be sold he if they do get sold they get a very good price for them and I think some owners especially in in Italian football but also in, in English football as well the the president or the, the owner will take the first opportunity and and, and sell them at, the, at that opportunity because they can see that money and if anything it's probably been costly towards not only Torino but Cairo himself. Bellotti could have been sold uh, after his sort of first first season where he got 20, 25 goals in the league. Could have been sold for at least 50, 60 million. I'm sure there were offers there. Um, Cairo turned them down, put on the clause of 100 million euros to try and um, dissuade teams from, from purchasing him and, and and that enabled him to stay with the team. Obviously, the, the results didn't follow, but I think that is the that is something to be respected for an owner. That actually, and I don't think there's been many players who've been sold for below their market value, um, or like against the the will of the fans. That any players who wanted to leave, maybe your Immobiles uh, and your Churchies, they wanted to leave it and you're always stuck in that situation where do you keep an unhappy player or do you do you sell them for, for what was a fair market value at that time? Um, so I think that is one area where he's done very well. Um, but yeah, there's definitely there's definitely room for improvement and frustration in the fact that for the for the past especially two seasons, Torino have been fighting relegation, which is something which we'd we'd hoped it was going to be a thing of the past. Um, but it, it's very quickly become become reality again. No, wow, you you raise you cover a lot of ground there, and I think maybe we should we should kind of 
break them down down a little bit as some really interesting points. I mean, I, I did write down like four things, maybe three things I liked about Cairo, just to be fair. But and it's going to lead lead me on to one of your points. One was I like the club badge that they created in <laughs> 2005. Um, if it was such knowing the way to change club badges these days, there will probably be a new one coming that, soon. That might be one of the only badges which has become better than the original. Yeah, I, I do think it's quite a smart badge. I like the fact, uh, I think the shirts, the shirt designs over the last 17, 18 years generally have been pretty good. I don't know, there's probably very little credit to him, but that's one of the things they've, they've got right. But I see a lot of clubs kind of getting that right anyway. Um, what I find interesting is that it, he's there at every single game. The camera, you'll be, you know, in Serie B, you'll be playing Catanzaro on a Monday evening. Cairo would be there. I've seen, there's very little times that a match is not there. And I think, that's also to his credit. I was to his credit. He's obviously been close to the team. He's he's obviously enjoyed going to the matches. He's always been present, but that's never always translated to. I don't know when things have been going badly to 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 reacting. It's like, are you seeing this same crappy performance that we're watching, or have you seen how much we need a number ten or a strike? But he is he's always there. And the other thing, I think the first season he was brilliant. He was this kind of whirlwind character. I think he dedicated almost all of his time that year to the club because obviously there was a lot to do. Um, and as you said, what, too much came too soon because he walked into football, they built a team in two or three weeks, he got the right coach, um, he got this dream playoff final in front of you know, 65,000 uh, where we came back from, from 4-2 down and whatever it was, a 3-1 down in the first leg. And he went into Serie A thinking, my God, this football arc, it's, it's, it's been as easy as a lot of other things I've done. And he, I mean, he chopped, he chopped the coach, he, you know, he brought in, but he, he, you know, he did things where he just tried to be progressive too early, like by bringing in Zaccaroni, who was a coach who had a very, very specific brand of football. Um, and then he was a whole, you know, a whole van, he was very much leading transfers for those first two or three seasons, which is why we got this collection of, uh, Panini sticker names really or players over the hill um, and it took him a long time to put trust in people and one of the things I don't see and I think one of the things maybe we should talk about first is the, kind of just the football the actual football on the pitch but what I don't see at Torino is a lot of characters who've ever challenged Cairo I don't see a lot of over the last 17 years that we've had two or three standout coaches one standout director of football but technical directors, officials within the clubs, a lot of them seem to be the same people who've been there for a while, who from the outside, it seems like, you know, it, it's very much Cairo, Cairo kind of runs the club how he wants. And I'm not sure how many different voices are in his head or how many challenge, how much he's challenged by uh, people within the club. Um, and yeah, just talking about it from a football side. So Torino historically are the eighth most, if you were to draw up a league table, uh, of all time, Serie A all time would be eighth. And actually a lot of that is due to the poor form of the last 20, 25 years. We would have been a lot higher before. So a lot of that is we've regressed under his presidency, but also regressed in the 90s. But let's take the fact that that's, okay, we're eighth. Um, we've, uh, you know, the Coppa Italia is something we should be kind of on an average winning every 15 years or something like that. Eighth, we've only finished above eighth twice in in seventeen years. Uh, 
we after that miracle promotion we had to endure going back down to Serie B and like you said we had to rebuild in a way that we probably needed to rebuild in in 05 and there has been a sense of stability since then and the two relegation seasons the relegation threatened season recently really worry me because I don't know where they came from one I can understand two means no one's there kind of fixed i think quite easy problems because three no are not in debt they've got the money to 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 invest in the in the team and sort things out um we've won one turin derby since 1995 and i saw a stat on i saw a stat on twitter this week which was really interesting which took all the big derbies in the world and the gap between the uh, the more successful team in in the derby matches and i'm surprised that the gap between juventus and Torino wasn't as big as i imagined it wasn't one of the biggest it might have been 10th out of 30 or something. Um, but obviously that gap was a lot narrower 25 years ago. But I just think the derby is such an important match for Torino fans and our acceptance of mediocrity, of draws, of um, yeah, kind of almost being a little bit bullied uh, by Juventus at times. I don't think he's... That's not all down to him. What happens on the pitch, but I think there's a bit of there's been a bit of a mentality at the club, uh, and which has transmitted to the team of a little bit of failure, really. Um, and the, we've got into the, a lot of those matches with failure. Twice we've got into Europe. We've got in. Let, let's be honest. We might have deserved it in a sense. We might have missed opportunities ourselves, but we got through the back door. Um, and really, did he was lucky to have that Ventura Petraki era and quite. Uh, the appointment of Mazzari proved um, proved um, proved pretty successful. But just to, yeah. sorry, just to stop you on that one, Peter. That's probably actually one of the bravest um, decisions in his tenure, and one of the ones which I suppose he probably does deserve credit for because he sacked Mihailovic when the club were in the top half of the table. It was after a Coppa Italia defeat against Juve, I think. And it, but it was it was one of those ones where. Nobody was really calling for Mihailovic to be sacked and he wasn't happy. He thought that the, t- the team on the pitch should have been in Europe and then made that change. And then ultimately, obviously it didn't end particularly well, but ultimately he was proved to be right. So he hasn't had, I don't think his footballing decisions have always been great, but that's one of maybe maybe a rare example where he decided to do something maybe against the sort of, if you think of every other sort of uh, coaching change, especially recently, it's probably been the fans have, have wanted the coach change and it's been a couple of weeks before it's actually happened. That was one where I, I remember being quite shocked to see that Milo has been sacked because it wasn't anything that, that Torre fans were, were calling for. No, it's, that, that was kind of proactive, but then I'll counter that by not long after that, Petraki was... Um, being courted by Roma and a few other clubs and there was a bit of a kind of long goodbye but you could see we knew from a certain point Petraki was leaving and Cairo for months and months obsessed about that trying to block Petraki going getting into these legal issues issues with Petraki having ownership of, of a lot of the scouting data and because of that because of not being focused on getting in the next technical director or next sporting director who ultimately in Italy is going to decide the next coach and the transfer strategy and how the team are going to play. All of that, all of that comes together. We had a whole summer of 
arguments about a guy who wanted to leave, left. Um, and I think there's two relegation threatened seasons were down to that kind of almost that kind of personal uh, how engaged personally he was in 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 I wouldn't say petty squabble but you you've got to move on um and so I think yes you are going to get some appointments right just by 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 luck or by appointing the right coaches and I'm not not saying he's um he shouldn't take credit for that but I think there's also times where he's just he's picked the wrong battle but I think generally speaking over the last what 17 years um yeah we've got stability now but i think that stability should be a platform for say i mean a copper italia is a freaking disgrace of a competition it's very hard to win unless you're unless you're one of the top four seeded um and at, you know at the highest levels of italian football they, they should try and change that but one year we should this year against sampdoria you know we're sitting very comfortably um Sampdoria put out a B team, so they basically down tools. We go there with our B team, um, lose the match, and that is, you know, that's probably seventy percent of our chance of. You know, we're more likely to get into Europe with a good cup run. I think, it, the, yeah, and it, it frustrates me year on year on year. And Cairo every year said, "This is the year we're going to challenge in the Coppa Italia." This we never do. If you want to challenge, you play play your proper players and your proper team, and if I don't care about the league match on the Sunday. I would rather get to a Coppa Italia, God, a quarterfinal or semi-final, <laughs> and you know, build build some some momentum that way. And what are you going to get with a Coppa Italia semi-final? You're going to get a big night at your stadium. You go, uh, well, you probably won't because it's such a crap competition. We'll, we'll be playing away at the San Siro or something more. But you're going to br- you are going to bring those big nights and those big occasions back to the club, and you might you are more likely to catch a bigger team off guard because they're playing maybe a slightly weaker team. Um, and I just wish we'd, I wish in the derbies, I wish in those matches, I wish, uh, I wish we'd gone and just given it a bit more of a crack sometimes and being a bit more bullish to excuse the pun. I think ultimately with the, with the Coppa Italia point, which I fully agree with that is down to the coach, but it, you as the president, you can sort of, make that point very clearly that you expect you expect a good showing in the capitale and you you will be judged not not as much if if you finish 12th rather than ninth but you've reached the cup the Coppa Italia semi-final then that that's something that you can be seen favorably and I think that's that's probably something that even happens in England where teams for for whatever reason when they're clearly safe in the in the Premier League will will then play a rotated side in in the cup where that is realistically Torino's only opportunity. Well, not even realistically, it is Torino's only opportunity for silverware. Um, and to sort of throw it away in the way that you've mentioned and, and not even seem bothered about it is frustrating. And I, I don't think, I think we may have reached one quarterfinal, um, but since I've been a fan, I don't, we've definitely not reached a semi-final. Um, yeah, so whenever we progress, we come up against Juventus, we think, oh, we, 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 can't, we can't possibly beat Juventus. So, and um, yeah, I think we've had one quarter quarter final, but and I think I think one of your points was I think it's interesting one if Cairo hadn't come in two thousand five, th- there were not a lot of people knocking on the door, and there've not been a lot of people knocking on the door since two thousand five. And whether that's just because maybe of a certain control of the media, we've not heard about it, um, maybe because they've never had any whispers of of Cairo wanting to sell. 
But I think it kind of brings on to the point of the as the wider assets of the club. Uh, like one of my frustrations, I hate the stadium. Stadium makes me nostalgic for the Stadio degli Alpi because the Stadio degli Alpi was a massive capacity issues, and it was out in 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 Venaria, wasn't in the centre of Turin. It was it wasn't difficult to get to, but at the same time, it wasn't easy to get to. Now you've got a stadium which is in the historic Torino quarter of the city, but it was rebuilt for one purpose, and that was the opening closing ceremony of the Winter Olympics. And you, you're playing in a stadium which was kind of reconstructed in its 1980s and 1970s style, um, a little bit for the, the you know for a, a ceremony which lasted a couple of hours. But that stadium was not reconstructed with football in mind. It got dumped on by Torino by the council. Juventus, as soon as they could, um, let's just say they got a very interesting arrangement, uh, an attractive arrangement to to take ownership of where the Deli Alpi was. Torino have been left with this. I, I can't stand the stadium. It's got no character. Um, uh, despite the fact it does, have, you know, it does have a certain amount of history to it, but I wish that more had been done to, re- to redevelop the stadium, to get in some, even just to get in some seats, which are the, which are the colour of the Torino shirt. Um, it's, you know, the, the fans are too far away from, from the pitch, there's all about space for where there doesn't need to be space, but it's also in that. Where, where in the, else would the ball go then, Peter? Well, yeah, it's, it, stick the ball on the, on the new roof or something, oh. but yeah, um, but yeah, stick the ball outside the stadium. <laughs> but but what you could ha- actually have is a really nice Torino, um, almost like a villagey feel where you've got the Philadelphia, you've got the Comunale. Um, I mean, even the fact they've called it the Grande Torino, there's something, nothing against the Grande Torino, but it just, that, all, all, that seems slightly hammy as well. I don't know. The, the, worst, um, the worst thing I hate about it is that the official name is the Stadio Olimpico Grande Torino. Torino yeah. take, it, it, take the Olympic bit out. If you can well, take one bit yeah, out of it, take the Olympic bit out. I'm not sure once the stadium becomes an Olympic stadium how easy that is to do, but, but there's so much more could be done with that area. And the stadium... You know, there's a lot of we know in Italian football. I think it's you're going to see it in the next ten years because Roma are doing it, Juve have done it, Fiorentina are doing it, Atalanta are doing it, Udinese have done it. But if you want to start being successful, the Milan and Inter do. You're going to need to have more ownership of your stadium. You're going to have a need to have a more modern stadium. And there's been there's been no whispers about the stadium at all. And that brings you on to the the Philadelphia, which. You know, someone, a propaganda person will say, well, that's one of the great successes of the last 17 years. But a lot of the Philadelphia stuff was pushed through by a, a, basically an association, a group of people who, who are volunteers who work really hard to get it turned around. And it's great that Philadelphia's back there for the youth team, for training. But it, the reality is there's not enough space there for, a, for Torino to do everything they need. So now they've got this... this third area an area called Robaldo where they're trying to build this training complex where they've had kind of permission to do it for a long time and that's a massive frustration with the fan base that 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 kind of that none of that has come together the club still has its headquarters in the center of Turin and you see the photo shoots with players when they come in it looks I went there for a meeting about five or six years ago and it's exactly as it would have been in the 1970s and it's fine to have a historical base to sign contracts and, and to have a 
place in the centre of Turin, why not? But a modern club now has its own its own homes um, and not a disparate bunch really of council-owned or leased places that you've not really been able to stamp your identity on. And I think for me, you, without having that structure and then without having the, we talked about the communications and having that, you know, I'm kind of going off topic, but you look at a lot of the stuff Torino put out on YouTube, it's a bit like the stuff other clubs were doing 10, 15 years ago. And it's, we're not, we're not leaders in those areas. We're not innovating there. And you would think Cairo with his background over the last 10 or 15 years, we would have been one of the clubs doing that. And I think that on the pitch will only improve when, when there's a, when there's kind of more of a structure off the pitch. And it's not just always a question of investment or finance. It's, it's a question of, of really forcing it through, wanting, wanting to do it. I think there was a question I was going to ask you, but you, you've, you've already stolen my answer. So I think it might just be more of a discussion. And it was, it was, and, and there's a point which, which I think maybe would have been your answer to it, but you can correct me if, if you, if I'm wrong. Uh, the question I was going to ask is, is it should um, Torino listen to this podcast and Urbano Caro gave us um, a job for, for a day and they said, what one thing would you do um, to help Torino and we'll implement it immediately? And, and my suggestion for that would have been to buy the stadium um, for, for all the reasons that you correct. Uh, for all the reasons that you point out, I, I probably don't dislike the stadium as much as you do, but it, it doesn't feel um, like a Torino stadium. It feels like a, an Olympic stadium, which is which Torino play at. It's um, there, there's I, I like I enjoy the atmosphere outside the ground um, before the game, which which is pro- probably says a lot that that there's that the fans will probably stay outside the ground until kickoff and then go inside. It was like, well, if you push the push the seats nearer to the to the state uh, to the to the pitch so that there is more of a sort of as Italians will say in English uh, feel to the to the ground make the concourse sections a little bit nicer have a have a bar area rather than just somebody selling bottles of beer out out of um out of a can or, or whatever um have have your Granata seats have statues of of the Torino legends of the past outside the stadium because then it, it makes it feel like a place for Torino it makes it feel like somewhere that you want to go and spend your time whereas at the moment all that money which is being spent outside the ground isn't Torino aren't saying any of that um same thing where that if if we own the the stadium you're making all the money from from the merchandise from the the refreshments you can even wouldn't be my preference but the the, the turf at uh, the stadium's also been pretty pretty poor for a long time, but then that gives you the opportunity to um, use it for other purposes. It, when in the summer where there are no games and you know and you're going to um, dig up the turf anyway, have a couple of music concerts there. Make make more um, opportunities to be making money, which will which will benefit the club in the long term. Um, so I will I won't. I won't guess what your answer is going to be. I will ask the same question to you um, on the caveat that you can't just use the one that, that we have just both thought of together there. No, it's a good one. But I think this concept of a Torino, almost a village, would, you know, I mean, Torino should not be catering uniquely for tourist fans or anything like that. It should be catering for the, the fan base. And the fan base is 
is dwindling because people are frustrated with the lack of investment and in infrastructure, lack of kind of representation. Um, I think in Italian football as well, you need to, um, you know, the certain hardcore fans or the more passionate fans like to be in an end together. And so I think you need to create, you know, the, the, the kind of Cordova Maratona at the, at the current stadium, I just don't think is anywhere near, even as atmospheric as the one that the, the Deli Alpi was. Um, I think if you, look, if you're someone who's, who's coming to Turin and you're, you have a kind of, even a vague interest in, in the story of Torino, I mean, why, why is the, if you'd have, you have to go to a museum in Grugliasco, which is miles out of town. Uh, you have to go up to Superga and visit Superga, which where the museum once was. Um, if you want to visit, visit the Philadelphia, and then you want, why not try and, uh, even a Gigi Moroni memorial is not that far from the current stadium. So you could do this whole, whole kind of project to, to kind of unite them and bring them together. And I think, yeah, I mean, without kind of repeating what you said, but I think just that kind of mod being that kind of modern progressive um, ownership model of the stadium will, would, would change a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, I mean, it's not, an, it's not something they can fix overnight. It's not, you know, it's not setting up an Instagram account in English and, 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 and doing it with a bit more, um, bit, bit more flair and thought, but I think that that's what we would like to see. I think we, when we first heard about the work on the Philadelphia, we were very excited. When I remember first hearing about finally leaving the Delhi Alpi and, and coming back to the Central Turin, really excited. But the reality is, it just looks like a municipal stadium, which could be in any town or city in Italy. And if we had to knock it down, and if we had to go and play, dare I say it, the Juventus Stadium for a year, whatever it might be, to get that that done but but then I'm not sure yeah which is why I think my original point is there's not been many challenges to the Cairo presidency because if someone an investor coming in there's 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 a lot of history there's a lot of um intangible things but in terms of tangible uh, ownership of things it's it's all quite disparate so you if you're in you know the main investment coming into Italian football is from the states for a lot of second generation third generation Italian Americans I mean Italian football's not had the same influx of, of money from elsewhere as a lot of it is business in Italy is done very different way um, and in fact a lot of those investors have are, have left or are leaving so it is mainly American companies coming in there are a lot of Torino fans who I've seen campaigns to try and get Red Bull in don't get me started on that. That, that was that was genuinely the next thing I was going to ask. Yeah. It is the it, one of the most infuriating things I see when I see that because because yeah, if you don't like, if you don't like what Cairo's done to Torino, wait to wait to Red Bull get hold of your team. If you ask um, fans of the sort of original Leipzig team, the original Salzburg team, whether they the the original fans of, of these clubs are glad of the Red Bulls. Um, it, in involvement in their in their club, I, I believe that the stats are going to be a lot a lot different from the from the polls that we we um, asked on on Twitter beforehand. Uh, it, I don't understand it. I think the, there's maybe a, a question mark for a shirt sponsorship whether whether they'd be involved literally just limit do you want to sponsor the shirts? But given the fact that they own so many football clubs around the world. I, I think the and and two of them are, are in regular European competition. I think the answer to that is going to be um, a very quick no. Um, no but yeah, I, I one mean, of my biggest frustrations too. 
but I think it's just yeah. Sometimes it is. Um, you're right. If if no one's no one at least publicly with any credibility has come forward uh, in in the 17 years, which makes you wonder. Um, do, yeah, do Torino need you know before it really is a sellable asset going into someone who is is going to invest more? Um, does does Cairo need to do more? Um, with the stadium and with the training facilities and 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 to create to create that or will can someone come come in and do that and i just think yeah we can sit here and and moan and complain and and wish for things but um it's yeah i the kind the kind of my concern is uh, having lived through pretty bad torino presidents in the 90s who did damaging things to club um and had their own serve their own self-interest far more than, than than that of club and the team we have we do have to be a, a little bit careful about what we wish for um but what we can wish for is that the current president um is able to yeah is able to deliver more than and 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 just take us to that next level um, uh, i think i think that's a good way to sort of leave the debate as well it I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. It is be careful what you wish for. Change sometimes it's it's the devil you know it is much better than the devil you don't. And we could go and get a, a um an investor from from wherever in the world and make a massive uh, financial investment on the team, which then doesn't pay off, and we're left to the consequences for the next twenty thirty years. Under Cairo, I'm confident that's not going to happen. And, and and you can bemoan that um, as much as you like, but I, I still live with a very uh, naive belief that, that football clubs can be self-sufficient. You, you spend what you earn and, and and you don't need to put in your, your own personal wealth because Kyra's probably already put in a lot of his money um, to, to do so. So if he, if he then chooses to, to run it as a business, it's frustrating. But if we, if we sell... See, we sell Bremer in the season in the summer for 50 million euros, and we spend 50 million euros in the transfer market. I won't complain for a second because you can clearly see that the money that we've um, generated has immediately been um, put straight back into the team. Uh, yeah, I mean, that come, we we all know at a certain point, like 99% of football clubs, Serena is going to be a selling club. So you got to sell at the right time, but it's, it's all, it's, it's about having that identity. It's, 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 we're going to bring in this type of player uh, to play this type of way. Um, and, you know, every summer just to see that, to see that investment, to see them looking at the areas of the team that need strengthening to, to, to take chances on, on, on interesting players and to be scouting in different places, not just scouting where a certain director of football or a certain coach has, has worked before. And, and not being reactive. So Bremer's, Bremer's going to leave. Okay, well, I'd like to know that um, Vagnetti has got five or six different centre-half options um, of, of, of the right profile to come in. What I don't want to see is Bremer to be sold for 50 million and we get a Ranocchia or something as a, as a make-weight deal who's 30-whatever and, and, and with no resale value so it's just having it's just knowing that there's that programming and planning in place players will come and go and we'll move on and we'll accept that that does, really does not matter but it's 
it's just seeing smart investment and it's seeing growth and it's seeing it's seeing ambition we we want realistically we're not at the moment if we can have you know every two or three seasons in the Europa League um, to have a really good go at the Coppa Italia and to see to see progress off the field um, we'd be happy it doesn't take much we're not asking for the Champions League we're not asking for uh, we're not asking for 150 million to be spent every summer we we are just it's ambition um, I think I think that's right I think even probably not even Europa League I think the Europa Conference Conference League if, if Torino were able to to get into that would be a, a realistic opportunity to win a European competition um, and I'm aware that Torino have already won the, the Eusebio Cup under, under Cairo but apparently that doesn't count um, so to, to be able to be in regular European competition even like I say a couple once every couple of years and then be in the top competition where you've got a chance of winning it like that would be exciting for the fans and and would unite the fan base where I actually think fans probably got a little bit they've got fed up of complaining that the complaints don't seem to happen anymore they, they've accepted it they've accepted what what is going to happen in Cairo. and I think part of that is the fact that they are there is that great they are grateful they're grateful for what what has happened and they they are aware that things could be worse if somebody takes over and and does an even worse job, then you'd be begging for, for Cairo to come back. There's, it's not to say that he hasn't made mistakes. It's not to say that there isn't ways to to improve upon the club, off the pitch especially. Um, but I think I think the overriding f- feeling is that things can't shouldn't continue the way that they, they have done. Um, and there's maybe the minor changes in, in terms of sort of social media output and which it, which can be rectified very very easily and and sort of make Torino in the same way that that Roma did with their Twitter account make them sort of call to the younger generation who who aren't going to sit and watch a, a ninety minute Torino game but they might watch a, a two minute Twitter video or Instagram video and learn more about the club that way um, and then there's obviously the the bigger things that that can be done uh, in terms of the stadium but I think if there were if there was even though the like dialogue about these things can be endless. If there was com- conversations or, or rumours that these things were coming into place, I think Torino fans would be a lot, lot more excited for the future than at the moment. I think it's it's just a cycle that we're just going to see the same thing again. We're, we're going to we might finish eleventh or twelfth this season. We'll sell a few players. We'll buy a few players who are worse than them, and we'll finish thirteenth or fourteenth next season. Well, to get to eleventh or twelfth, we're going to have to. Might have to improve a little bit on, on current form. So, just closing. What's your prediction for this weekend? So, I'll, I will go. Um, I'll go for the entertaining two-two draw. Um, oh, it's going to go the same. Ah, oh, I, I, well, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll go for a shout, and I don't want to be one of numerous podcasts who seem to um, uh, encourage gambling. But I, I might try and find somewhere if I can get uh, Simone Verdi to score a free kick. Uh, if I can get odds made up for that, I might share it on on the Twitter account because um, if it does happen, which I, I've got a feeling may be inevitable, it would be nice to to sort of make a little bit of money out of it. So I will try and that will be my uh, my task for for the days that lead up to the game. See if a, a betting company will will give me odds for that. It's three to one to score at any time. I did I did point out, um, but yeah, I, I've I feel if if the inevitable happens. Um, at least if I predicted it and, and made a little bit of money, I'll feel a little bit better. I'm going. I'm going two-two with a late Bellotti penalty, and, um, and Verdi to be sent off for a second yellow card. 
I'm under, I, well, I, I, might also, I may also see if I can find somewhere which would put uh, who have Port Vale got this weekend, Peter. That's a very good. I got Barrow. Oh well, if I, I'll, I'll see if anyone would give me uh, Port Vale and, and Torino both to get a penalty in the, on the same day. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this might be strangely, despite not having a game to talk about, the longest podcast so far. So uh, if you've managed to get to this stage, very well done. Um, uh, anything more for you to add, Peter? No, should, uh, we should thank people for their patience and we'll reconvene post-Salerno. Forza Toro. Forza Toro.